You know, this, this thing of theft, this thing that we've baptized corruption, it comes from a, a process of mental corrosion, which causes individuals to selfishly collude against the general good for personal gain. You see, no one is born a thief. No one is born corrupt. It's a personal choice and it's driven by greed for personal benefit. I remember a little while back reading in the papers of a section of Kenyan pastors who are reported to, to be complaining that no politician was dishing out money to their churches. So theft has been so normalized that it has become accepted as a way of life. What's up, Mavuno? My name is Pastor M, and I just want to welcome you to a time of worship as a community. If you are a visitor, maybe you stumble onto this broadcast, or somebody invited you, a family member, or a friend send you an invite. We're so, so glad you're here. And you know, uh, we're so excited, whether you're worshiping with us online, whether you're worshiping with us on Switch TV, uh, please feel at home. This is a church for real people with real issues before a real God. And you know, we'd love to just have you as part of uh, our community. If you'd like to know more about Mavuno, if you'd like to join our online community so you just get more information about these people, who are these people, or even if you just have a prayer request, you'd love someone to pray for you, use the information on the screen, just click on that link, uh, we'll send you a WhatsApp message, and we'd love to tell you more, and even if you have a prayer request, put it there, and we would love to be in prayer for you. So hey, we're going through a series, it's called Breaking Bad. <laughs> Dealing or, or beyond Kenya's original sin. We're, we're tearing down national strongholds. And I just want to thank everyone here for the feedback you've been sending us. Uh, we've gotten such good feedback of different people and the way that they're responding to this message. We've been learning that Kenya's original sin, Kenya's national stronghold is theft. It's not, it's not corruption, it's not graft, it's not, uh, it's, it's not that, that whole thing, facilitation, it's not something small, no, 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 no. It's actually theft, theft through the abuse of power, position, or privilege. And we've been saying that, you know what, when you look, we looked at the consequences last week of when this theft becomes institutionalized in a nation, and it becomes a normal way of life for a people, and we said that theft destroys a nation. You know, theft, it just destroys the soul of a people. And that's what's been happening in our nation. Now, I suspect that many of the things I've shared with you have not been news. You know, for many people, they agree, and most Kenyans would agree that corruption is not good. Theft is not good. It's not good for the nation. But the real question that many people have is, what can one person do? I mean, <laughs> what's one person to do? What difference can I make? You know, several years back, I got involved with a, a few friends of mine to develop a piece of land so that we could each uh, build a home on it. And as a person leading the project, I was entrusted to get the government permits to go through the different government offices and get the permits for the project. I made a commitment to the group, though. I told them that I will not facilitate, <laughs> I will not give any bribes for us to get this work done. We will we'll do it the right way, even if it costs us. And boy, you can guess that's where our problems began, right? I mean, we were shuttled from office to office. It was agonizingly slow. I mean, it took months after months. It became clear to me at one point that the processes in the land's office, I don't know if anybody has ever reached that conclusion, they're deliberately kept vague, just so that it's hard for you to know what you need to do so that you, can, you have to facilitate or get, help, get someone else to help you and that person knows the system. They know who to bribe. They know what, where to put money so you get your system moving. And it creates huge opportunities for graft. I mean, one point our documents sat in an office for six months. 
Six months <laughs> in front of one person's desk. Simply because we wouldn't facilitate someone stamping them. And you know what? <laughs> the crazy thing is, it took us five years to finally get our government permits so that we can actually proceed with our project. And by that time, of course, the loss had been heavy because, I mean, several buyers had even backed out by then. They had demanded their refunds. The project almost fell apart. People almost gave up. The vision was almost destroyed. In fact, one of the agents is the one who really crowned it for me because he mentioned if only we had been willing to part with cash, we could have done this whole project, not in five years, but in six months. And standing against corruption, standing against theft, is a painful process for many people in our nation. I mean, what do you do when you know that failure to bribe a policeman will end up meaning you'll be detained in a cell overnight, maybe even for the weekend if it's on Friday, and you probably will still end up paying a hefty fine at the end of that time? What do you do when failure to bribe a procurement officer may mean that you don't get the contract that you desperately need to keep your business afloat? What do you do when refusing to sleep with a lecturer may mean that you fail in your exams or maybe even get discontinued from the university? What do you do when you know that failure to illegally overlap means that it will leave you stuck in that place, maybe even overnight in traffic? And people who live in Naivasha and, and some of the, some, Mombasa Road, I guess you know what I'm talking about, don't you? I mean, these are not easy questions, are they? Neither are they theoretical. These are situations faced by Kenyans every day. And of course, the worst thing in these scenarios is that those who take the shortcuts tend to get ahead, isn't it? And then they leave behind those who are still waiting, those who are still being patient, those who are still being righteous. You're left behind, isn't it? And that's where it's agonizing. That's where the pressure comes. That's where our fear hits us in the eye. How do we stand against corruption when the result would be disadvantage or suffering to ourselves? Now, fortunately, the good book talks about this. I thank God that the scripture is not blind to this reality. I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 24, verse 24 to 27. And today we want to speak about this. What do we do? What, what do I do as a person to stand against theft when it's going to cost me? Acts 24, verse 27, 24 to 7. And I'm going to give a little context as we read, because whenever you read the scripture, it's always good to hear some context. Uh, to read some context. The Jewish leaders, if you read the passages just before this, they falsely accused Paul, the Apostle Paul, and they say that he had incited riots and had disturbed the peace. Of course, that was not the case, but they, they just wanted to jail him. They were threatened by what he was doing. And knowing they had no real case, about, I mean, they, they, start, they start up the mob, so there was a riot, and then the Romans came and they arrested Paul for, for disturbing the peace. Now, these guys knew that the case was very flimsy. So what do they do? They conspired with 40 young men to kill, to assassinate Paul when he was being moved from prison to prison. Now, this whole plot was thwarted because the Roman authorities discovered it. Somebody snitched on them and the plot was discovered. Realizing that their plot was not going to work, they hired a top Jewish lawyer. His name was Tatulan. And this guy charged Paul in, <laughs> in front of the Roman governor. So they took their lawyer Tertullus and they walk in before the Roman governor. In those days, the governor was both executive and judiciary. He was both the leader, uh, the, the key leader, but he was also the judge of all serious cases. And they came and accused Paul in front of that guy. And here's the thing. 
Felix, who was a governor, he knew there was no case. I mean, he listened to them even with their fancy lawyer and he could tell these guys have really no case with what they were doing. So he sent them away. And as he sent them away, he said, you know, the arresting officer, who is the one who really knows the case and is not here in court today? Let's do an adjournment. And when he comes, we'll be able to deal with what's going on. Now, it seems like a very fair decision until you read what happens next. So let's read from verse 24 to 27. Chapter 24 of Acts, verse 24 to 27. And here's what it says. It says, several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about his faith in Christ Jesus. So this is a judge listening to Paul. As Paul talked about righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and he said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. Wow, what a dramatic passage. Who knew such things were in the Bible? <laughs> Those who say that pastors shouldn't preach about political and national issues. <laughs> you probably haven't read the Bible recently because the Bible is not just concerned about spiritual things. It's concerned about the life that we live here and now. Paul is defending himself against a rigged judicial system. He knows his opponents have no case against him. And so he's very excited when the judge sends them off because he's like, this guy seems to understand what's going on. So he's called in by the judge and his wife because the judge calls his wife to hear this man. And as the man talks, it says the, the, the governor is afraid. Now it doesn't tell us what he's afraid of. It seems like he's afraid because Paul is preaching about eternal life. But it turns out that's not actually why he's afraid. Because later on when his wife is not there, he still sends for Paul again. Why is he afraid? He's afraid at that point, my suspicion, is because he really wants to ask for a bribe but doesn't want to hear his wife to hear the proceedings of what he really wants. <laughs> He's seen an opportunity for a bribe. So he calls Paul again and he asks him for a bribe. He asks him for something small in a private meeting. And when he realizes this thing is not coming, he keeps meeting him. But it's those ones of this, you're still not talking. What's happening? You know, you know how it is when you're with cops. It's like, you're not talking. You're not really talking. I mean, you're talking, but you're not talking. And Paul refuses to talk. <laughs> so what happens after that? For two years, this man leaves him in that prison. I mean, this, there's not been a trial. It's complete injustice. And then what happens when he's transferred? Paul is left. In fact, what, what happens is really crazy. Because after that, Paul is shipped to Rome for trial. And that takes another whole year. So that's a third year. And then when he's in Rome, he's put under house arrest. By the way, that, trial, that, that journey is a horrible journey with terrible weather, with shipwreck, with a snake bite. All that happens within a year. And then the next two years, the guy is under house arrest. Five years of his life are lost simply because he will not pay a bribe. I know. You're expecting a happy ending, right? <laughs> I mean, you serve God. Say not corruption. God just swoops in and rescues you from that prison and you live happily ever after, right? I mean, this is what even happened earlier when Paul was in Philippi. You remember the story? I mean, he and Silas were arrested falsely and then they sang, they worshipped God and in the middle of the night there was an earthquake and the earthquake came and the prison was set out and Paul, I mean, the prison doors fell open and Paul and his friend just walked right through. That's kind of what you're expecting to happen again, right? I mean, that's what it means for God to protect you as a righteous person. But this time round, 
Despite whatever prayers Paul prays, things only go from bad to worse. And you know, I don't understand why the scripture does this. At some point we're like, God, why aren't you releasing him from prison? Until you begin to realize that there's something bigger going on. For most people, standing against theft and corruption will cost you greatly. It could cost you greatly. It could cost you your time and your convenience. It could cost you your health or your finances. It could cost you your freedom or even your life. I mean, last week's story, remember, there's a guy called Naboth. And Naboth stood against King Ahab. And he said, not on your life am I giving you this ancestral land. God's word does not allow it. And guess what happened to him? Boom. The man died. He lost his life. <laughs> so here's the thing. Knowing all this, that I could lose all this, why would anyone in their right mind take this stand? Why would anybody decide to stand against theft knowing it could cost them? Today I'm going to give you three reasons. Three reasons as God's people why we must say no to theft in our country. Three reasons as God's people. I'm, I'm speaking to God's people here. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, here are three reasons why we must say no to theft. And the first one is that theft makes me God's enemy. Theft makes me God's enemy. You see, when we steal, we break not just one commandment, but at least two. Commandment number eight says you shall not steal. That's a basic one. Commandment number 10 is you shall not covet what belongs to your neighbor. <laughs> and you know, because thieves also kill, steal, and destroy. We talked about that last time. You're also breaking commandment number six. You shall not kill. It's interesting because many times when people steal, uh, you steal money that is meant for COVID and you're a politician and you're just thinking about yourself. People are dying in this nation because somebody stole. People cannot get the medical attention they need because somebody stole. You're a thief, but you're also killing, stealing, and destroying. And God hates it. You become God's enemy when you engage yourself in any kind of theft. Let me give you a few examples from scripture. There are so many. I'm just going to give you a few. Proverbs 11 verse 20. It says, the Lord detests people who have crooked hearts, but he delights in those with integrity. Imagine that. The Lord detests. Theft makes you God's enemy. Another one. Proverbs 11 verse 1. And it says, the Lord detests the use of dishonest scales, but he delights in accurate weights. Another use of that same word, detest. In other words, there are things that God hates. I know God is love. <laughs> but even God who is love hates. And the Bible says this in twi twice. This is interesting because God is interested in the details of how you're running your business. Dishonest weights really has to do with business. And whether it's a telco that is overcharging customers and hoping no one notices, whether it's a hospital billing clients for items they didn't use. By the way, any of you tried to check out, uh, you, you've, have you noticed how much work it is to get somebody out of hospital nowadays? Because you have to go through those accounts with a fine tooth comb because somebody somewhere is going to try and steal your money. And if it's not your money, they're going to try and steal insurance's money. So, so this whole thing, uh, pe people adding, you know, I'm a, I'm a honey producer. I, I keep bees. And one of the things I'll say is in this country, almost anything you buy in the supermarkets nowadays is molasses and something else. It's called honey, but it's not. Because somebody somewhere decided that they want to make more money by adulterating what they're selling. And it's not just honey, it's almost every other product out there. Why? Because somebody wants to make a killing. And what they're doing is killing people innocently. And the Bible says God hates it. One more, I'll give you one more verse. Paul himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 to 10. 
And this is what it says. It says, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, or slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, theft disqualifies you from God's kingdom. This is what Paul is saying. This is actually serious work. Now, some people might feel, you know, it's okay. So long as I go, <laughs> I go to church and give my tithe. I mean, it's, it's like, I mean, uh, uh, you know what? So long as I come to church and, I, and I'm sorry and I give my tithe, God will forgive. You know what? It's, what you're doing is you're treating church as a money laundering unit. It's a money laundering operation. It's like you're giving God your, your money so he can sanitize. You're cleaning your money so God can sanitize your, your money. But it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. There are many examples in the scripture of God's judgment on thieves. God may not always judge immediately, but he always deals with wickedness. We seem to make a serious mistake when we conclude that we are getting away with it because nothing seems to be happening. There are no repercussions. But let's not mistake God's mercy for weakness. God's mercy is not weakness. God is giving you time to repent. God is not indifferent. God is not late. God is not blind. God hates theft and he will deal with those who practice. So that's number one as a Christian. Why don't I practice uh, theft? Because God hates theft. But number two, and this one is an important one. Theft makes me God's enemy. Actually, so that's the first one, actually. God, theft makes me God's enemy. Number two is theft brings a curse. This, is, this one is important for me. It comes home. You know, Prophet Zechariah once wrote in a conversation that he had with an angel. And he said in Zechariah chapter 5, verse 3 to 4, it's a powerful passage. And this is what he says, Zechariah chapter 5, 3 to 4. Then he said to me, this is Zechariah talking about the angel. Then he said to me, this scroll contains a curse that is going out over the entire land. One side of the scroll says, those who steal will be banished from the land. The other side says, those who swear, swear falsely will be banished from the land. Of course, to steal, you have to swear falsely. <laughs> you have to defend your theft. And this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says, I am sending this curse into the house of every thief and into the house of everyone who swears falsely using my name and my curse will remain in that house and completely destroy it, even its timbers and stones. Wow. What do you tell someone who asks you for a bribe? I don't know what you tell people. I mean, I've used all kinds of, I've said all kinds of things. I've said, uh, there are times I used to say, I can't because I don't have money. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd lie so that I don't, ha I don't have to bribe. Uh, other times I'd say, you know what, I'm a Christian. I've even, said, I've even used the pastor card. I've said, you know, I'm a pastor. I can't bribe. Pastors don't bribe. <laughs> but nowadays, I have an answer that I give to people when they ask me why I don't bribe or when, when they ask me to bribe them. I tell them, you know what, if I do what you're asking me to do, it will bring a curse on my family and your family into perpetuity. And I don't want to do that. I don't hate you enough. I don't want to do that to you. So it's okay. Let's go through the consequences because I don't want to bring a curse on you. This is what the Bible says. There is a curse when we engage ourselves in theft. You know, we've been learning this few months about how, how our actions, they open the door. They give legal rights to the enemy to oppress us and oppress our families. And engaging in theft is just me opening the door for the enemy to oppress not just me, but the generations that follow. You know, it may look like you got away with it. And some of you, you've been in that space. You've seen people getting away with it. You used the Kenya to cheat and you passed with flying colors. 
You used a fake certificate to get a job and now you have a fantastic job. You took advantage of your position to steal public resources or company resources. Now you're rich. Or you won a tender that you had no interest in supplying and now you're rolling in money. We've seen it in our country. Yes, you got what you want, but do you understand that you've just opened the door for serious spiritual oppression over yourself and over your family, your children and your children's children? Why would you do this? Why would you sell yourself to the devil? Why would you call a curse down upon your family? Why not use that same genius mind? That's what I always think. Why not use the same genius mind you have to create solutions for people? <laughs> if Kenyans could use the same thinking that we use as a nation to actually create inventions to help our country, my gosh, we would be so far away from everybody else because we are geniuses in this country. My goodness, the scams you get nowadays, we are geniuses if we could just turn this genius for good. And here's the thing, I mean, theft makes me God's enemy. Number two, theft brings a curse. Number three, and I'm going to end with this one, God can turn every situation around for my good. <laughs> this is a third reason why I don't engage. Despite the pain it might bring me, I don't engage in theft. Think about it. Paul had every opportunity to justify giving that bribe. He could have argued, it's going to help the gospel advance. I mean, imagine how many churches he could have started, new churches in those five years that he wasted in jail. I mean, he could have argued that the new churches he had begun still needed him. I mean, look at all these young Christians. I mean, without me, how will they make it? He could have used that and said, look, let me just bribe. It's a greater good. He could easily have said, you know what? The system is corrupt. Nobody gets along anywhere. And I've had people say that here. You can't do business if you're not corrupt. You just have to give something. And maybe Paul could have said that. Look, this is a rigged system. We can't even survive. Or he could have said, you know what? God helps those who help themselves. In fact, since he wrote some of the Bible, he could even have put that in the Bible. God helps those who help themselves. I've had Christians quote that like it's a verse. But why did Paul decide to face the consequences of not bribing, even though it meant losing freedom? How come he was willing to do that? You see, Paul understood, and here's the thing that I've come to understand, that this life is not all that there is to it. Paul, by the way, he would not only lose his freedom, eventually he would lose his life for choosing not to compromise. He would actually die because of his convictions. But you read his worldview in the scripture and you begin to understand this is why he thinks like this. There's a great verse he shares, Romans 8:28, and many of you know it. And it says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. You know, as a believer, Paul had full faith in God's power to rescue him. He knew that God had rescued him before, even in the same position in prison. He knew God could do it. But he also knew it's not in some things that God works. It's not in good things that God works. It's not in when things are going my way that God works for my good. Paul knew that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. God would still work out things for his good whether he came out of prison or he didn't. God would work out things for his good whether he was sent to Rome or he wasn't. God would work out things for his, for his good whether he died or he didn't. Because life is not all there is to it. And that's why Paul reported, and here's the thing, it's so interesting because you actually see it in the Bible how it works out for his good. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 to 14, there's a very interesting scripture there where Paul says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear 
throughout the whole palace, God, and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. You see what's happening. I mean, Paul, his whole life was about spreading the good news, starting new churches, getting people to hear about Jesus. But guess what happened? Because of his imprisonment, now he's saying everybody in the palace, in Rome, the superpower of the world, the guards, now even the secret service guys, the guys who are next to the emperor, they even know about Jesus. Like this message was so small, but because of his arrest, look what's happened. It's blown up. It's gone across the world. His ministry has gone international simply because he would not compromise. He trusted God to work all things for his good. Talk about acceleration. Talk about divine economy. He's moving in a different space from anybody around that. And in addition to that, as if that was not enough, other Christians were now becoming bold to proclaim their own faith. So it's not just Paul anymore doing this thing. I mean, other people now are preaching the gospel, and that's why we're still here today, preaching this gospel. Why? Because it stopped being Paul's thing. It became everybody's thing. Are you seeing how God works? I mean, Paul could have said, my goodness, let me take a shortcut. Let me make sure I don't go to Rome. Let me make sure I bribe. But listen, what's happening is God is taking all things and making them work for his good. And we too must believe that all things will work out for our good because we love God. Whether things work out for me in this situation or not, God will work it out. Whether I get that tender or I don't, listen somebody, God will work it out for your good. Whether I keep my job or I don't, God will work it out. Whether I go to work on time or I'm late because I chose to obey the law, God will work it out. Whether I receive my reward in this life or I don't, God, he works it out for my good. And this is the way God works for his people. Listen, there are four types of people. I want to conclude with this. There are four types of people. Actually, I just want to share this because somebody shared it with me and I thought it was very interesting. He said there are four types of responses to theft in Kenya. He said number one type is the defiant. Those who actually practice and propagate theft very actively. They don't see anything wrong with it. Their, their philosophy is, if I don't do it, someone else will. You know those people? <laughs> yes, they're there. And they think that those who don't take shortcuts are fools. Because listen, all of us, we're given brains, just use yours. That's why I'm using mine. God blesses those who bless themselves. That would be a verse in their Bible. And I've heard of people who don't participate in tenders unless they already have an inside connection in the office to get them that tender. I mean, those are the defiant. That's the first one. Bribing is a competitive advantage for them. Number two are the defeatists. The defeatists are those who are resigned to the fact that things will never change. <laughs> Corruption is just the way of life. It's an evil necessity in this country. If there was another way to do business, I would do it. But there isn't. And so I have to take this shortcut to pass my exams. Their philosophy is I bribe to survive. So that's a defeatist. The number three type of person or response is it depends. The people who are it depends people. And unlike the defeatists, they don't believe corruption should be, is the only way. They believe it should be fought and resisted. But they also believe that there are some cases where you just don't have an option. The negative consequences will be too painful if you do it the right way. And so their philosophy is, surely even God will understand. <laughs> so those are the third group. You know, do you know any defeatists around you? They're like, you know what, uh, man, uh, God will understand. It depends people. God will understand. This one was a bit too hard. 
And then finally, there's one last group of people. And this friend told me this story, and I, I thought this was a fantastic way to put it. He says, the, the group of the determined. The determined. And these are those people who have predecided, predetermined that they will not engage in theft regardless of the consequence to themselves. They are like Daniel in Nebuchadnezzar's court, Nebuchadnezzar's university, who determined in their heart they will honor God regardless of the cost. And their philosophy is, even though no one else will do right, it begins with me. It begins with me. Somebody say right now as you're watching this, it begins with me. It begins with me. You see, this nation will only begin to change when enough of us are willing to stand up and pay the cost of standing for what is right. Listen, you may be saying, what difference does it make? What difference can I make in this country? I'm just a junior officer. I'm just a housewife. I'm just a student. I'm just one person. And yet the testimony of scripture is that one person with God on their side is a majority. Listen to me, God only wants you to be faithful and to trust him with the outcome and he will do the rest. Say it again with me, it begins with me. It begins with me. I want to conclude with a little story. And this little story was shared by the celebrated Nobel Peace Laureate, Professor Wangari Madai. She's one of the Kenyans who bravely stood against theft in this country. And it cost her greatly. But I bless God that she was celebrated in her lifetime. And she tells us the story of the hummingbird. I don't know if you've heard the story of the hummingbird. But this is what it says. This is a delightful little story. It says that this little hummingbird was in a forest. Lived in a big forest. A huge forest. And the forest was being consumed by a fire. There was a fire in the forest. And all the forest animals had run out of the, fo of the, of the forest. And they were watching the fire consume their home. They were feeling overwhelmed. They were feeling powerless. But this little hummingbird refused to give up. It said, I'm going to do something about the fire. And so it took, it flew to the nearest stream and it took a drop of water. And it went to that fire and it poured that drop of water on the fire. And then it went back to, again to the stream. And it came with another drop of water and poured and back and forth and back and forth. The little hummingbird is trying to put out the fire. Of course, it's a little bird and little drops are not making that much impact, but it's determined, it's doing its best. And the, little, the other animals are watching in amazement and they say, why are you doing this? What do you think you can do? You are too little. The fire is too big. Your wings are too small. Your beak is so small, it can only bring one drop of water at a time. Why are you doing this? But as they continue to discourage it, it turns to them without wasting time and it tells them, I am doing the best I can. I'm doing the best I can. And that's the story of the hummingbird. I have no control over what my colleagues are doing in the office, over what my classmates are doing in the exam room, I have no control over what my fellow drivers are doing on the highway, over all the people around me who are taking shortcuts. I have no control. But I have only control over one person, and that's me. It begins with me. I may be small in people's eyes, but I'm a servant of the Most High God. I will not be one of those animals watching the fire burning their home while my country goes down in the drain. It begins with me. I will play my part. I will do the best I can. Though no one join me, still I will follow. I will trust my life to God because it begins 
with me. I want to just pray for us as we conclude because I believe that the Lord is speaking right now and is raising up some righteous people in this nation. People who will choose to stand up and live for a different Africa. People who will say, you know what, I may not be much, but I have the most high God with me. People who will say, I will, I will believe, I will live right and trust God that He will use what I have to change my nation. Father, I want to pray right now for your sons and daughters who are watching this message and who right now, Lord, your conviction is heavy upon them and who are saying, yes, it begins with me. Yes, I will stand and I will, I will, I will, I will face that temptation head on. And I will refuse to be a thief, even if everyone around me is stealing. I pray right now for somebody who's facing the temptation to compromise. I pray for you right now that God will strengthen you in that position, right there where you are. In that place where you're feeling it's too hot, the fire is too hot. I have to give in. Everybody's looking at me like I'm stupid. Why aren't you doing it? And I'm going to say it begins with me. Father, give me the strength to stand. I pray right now, give your sons and daughters the strength to stand in that office, to stand in that school, even if they're the only one. And Father, I pray also for those who are experiencing the consequences of saying no to theft right now. There are some who are at home because they lost their jobs. There are some who are there because they failed their exams. They wouldn't do what is wrong. And Father, I pray for them that right now you'd give them that grace to understand that in all things, in all things, Lord, you work for the good of those who love you. And right now that, Lord, you would take whatever happened in the past, you would take their resolve and their conviction, and would you even begin to give them hope of the knowledge that as long as they're with God, things will work for their good. I pray begin to turn around their situation, begin to open their eyes, begin to cause them to be a model for others. And I pray, Lord, I, I, I believe one day, Lord, there'll be a nation where we will, we will value integrity and honesty, where we will value hard work, where we will celebrate the people who get there the right way. And Lord, a nation that is free under God. And so I bless you, God's people, as we go into the week. I bless you now as you walk in courage. Hey, next week, we're going to be talking about what we must do about the leaders we have. You want to be there. But right now, I bless you as you go into the week. And I bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And God's people say together. Amen. Amen. You have a plan for me. Even though I cannot always understand. Beyond what I can see. Know that I am held within your hand So I will trust in you And I will lift a song of praise for you Never ever change No matter what I'm going through Even here your name is righteous Even here you are still good even here I will exalt you and lift up praises as I should. For even here your power is greater, I will choose to glorify the power of your wisdom. Though I live or though I die, your ways are perfect. Your name is righteous and you are good.
hold my destiny So I can look with eyes of faith to what will come Not moved by what I see And without ever growing weary I will run Testify of your wisdom that is greater and your power that is stronger. For you conquered death with life. Even here, your name is righteous. Even here, you are still good. Even here, I will exalt you and lift up praises as I should. For even here, your power is greater. I will choose to glorify the power of your wisdom Though I live and though I die, your ways are perfect Your name is righteous and you are good Oh, your plan for me is good Your plan for me is good your plan for me is good No matter what the days may hold Your plan for me is good Your plan for me is good Your plan for me is good No matter what you're in control Your plan for me is good Your plan for me is good Your plan for me no matter what the days may hold Your plan for me is good Your plan for me is good Your plan for me is good No matter what you're in control Even here your name is righteous Even here you are still good Even here I will Lift up praises as I should Even here your power is greater I will choose to glorify The power of your wisdom Though I live and though I die Your ways are perfect Your name is righteous And you are good Your ways are perfect your name is righteous and you